0: It's Monday, October 4th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. House Democratic leadership has failed to get enough support for the massive $3.5 trillion spending bill stalling President Biden's top agenda item right now. There is support for the plan, just not at that price tag. On the Senate side, Senators Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema are the holdouts, with Manchin wanting something in the range of $1.5 trillion, But the focus right now is on cinema, who has not committed to any particular price or policy items. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News, joins us for this and the beginning of the next controversial term for the Supreme Court. Next, as the deadline for many vaccination mandates are coming soon, many still resisting their shots are looking for exemptions. Religious exemptions are one way that people are seeking to get out of the mandates, but they may not be as easy to get as some may think employers have a lot of discretion when granting these. Employers have to provide a reasonable accommodation, but they can also probe whether a person's beliefs are sincere and deny it if they think they're not. Andrea Shu, labor and workplace correspondent at NPR, joins us for more. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I'm willing to sit down and work through that 1.5 to get our bar priorities, and they can come back and do later, and they can run on the rest of it later. I think there's many ways to get to where they want to, just on in everything at one time. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. All right. Let's talk about all the drama that's going on with the infrastructure bill, the spending plan. House Democratic leaders failed to get enough support to pass all of this. Um, you know they want to do both bills at the same time basically and so it's just further stalling you know the the top priority for biden's administration right now everybody's fighting over the price tag of this thing which was 3.5 trillion dollars this is the spending plan moderates are saying it's just too much progressives are holding firm saying they're not going to vote on the other infrastructure bill that was already passed by the senate until they get both of them done
1: President Biden really asked for something like seven and a half trillion dollars when he sent his big long wish list to Congress earlier this year. And we saw those requests get split into two. As you said, there's this five hundred and fifty billion dollar infrastructure bill that's roads, bridges, reports the things we think about as infrastructure and then there's another bill that's the social safety net bill not really infrastructure um it's more like medicare and universal daycare and more money to help take care of the elderly
0: uh, programs like that democrats called it their social infrastructure plan
1: yeah, I, I I always think it's where they were calling it the human infrastructure bill for a while, oh, right. and I makes me think of the end of the matrix. So I don't, <laughs> like that. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, so they've they've been. It's a big wish list. And that that price tag has been a moving target, right? It's gone up, it's gone down. Three and a half trillion dollars is what they've been at recently, and it looks like at the end of the day, it's going to be smaller. When Biden met with House Democrats on Friday, he sort of suggested somewhere in the like. $2 trillion ballpark, maybe a little more, maybe a little less, is what he thinks will ultimately end up with.
0: Yeah, progressives are really, you know, flexing their power on this one, really holding firm and saying, you know, we're just not going to pass the other bill that was already passed by the Senate. You know, when we talk about that, uh, we're looking at Senator Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema of Arizona holding that part of it up. They, they think that that spending plan, the three point trillion one, one, is just way too much. I mean, this is
1: all the sausage making as the old cliche goes of legislation. House Democrats think if they hold up the infrastructure bill, they can get the Senate to give them more of what they want. The Senate says, "You're only going to get what you get anyway. Right. Uh, so uh, just uh, do whatever you want, but know that that is not going to have any influence on us. And so we're really watching sort of the meat making happen here behind the scenes. And I think really what's important to understand is that at the end of the day, it's very likely that both bills in some form, the $550 billion for sure, and then the other bill, Maybe a little bigger, smaller. Ultimately, are going to get passed. Um, yeah. This is just sort of the the
0: process. And that's and that's what I've been saying that everybody supports it. It's going to get passed some way or another. But all the fighting is still kind of going on. So Senator Joe Manchin said he wants something in the one point five trillion dollar range. Kristen Sinema, on the other hand, is a different story. Part of it is that she's not necessarily committing to a price tag. She's not really indicating specifically what policy she might be supporting. So, you know, kind of nobody knows what she wants. She says she doesn't want to talk to the media about it. She's doing all this behind closed doors and has had many meetings with the president. So Kristen Sinema, the
1: senator from Arizona, she's really sort of drawn the ire of progressives in the House who feel like she's not negotiating in good faith with them, that she's not giving them a total and that she's just holding all of this up to maybe get some headlines. Who knows? But um, she has become sort of the last roadblock, it seems. She left Washington on Friday morning much to the ire of some Democrats who wanted her to stay and negotiate. Her office said she had a medical appointment, but we understand that she's been negotiating with the White House, with her leadership, with other folks in Congress. And so she could stop the whole thing if she wanted. And so we're waiting to see what she decides she wants and if she can accept something before the, maybe the month is out.
0: And she has a lot riding on this too. She co-wrote the infrastructure bill. She co-wrote the other side of this that's being held up in the house. So, you know, there's a lot at stake for her too to get that passed.
1: That's right. I mean, she has been involved in these talks, um, these bipartisan discussions, these big spending bills. So it's not like she's just sort of come out of nowhere to object and uh, slow things down. She has been very involved in this process, but has put a little bit of a a speed bump in and, and is trying to get some role in deciding what goes into this legislation.
0: We talked a lot about deadlines that Democrats are setting for themselves since this kind of stalled out here. Is there a new deadline or just back open again?
1: It's going to be September 27th forever, which was the deadline (laughs) originally to pass the infrastructure bill. But no, they haven't. And I think that part of that is because they're still operating under the last one and they're trying to make it happen as quickly as possible. But if you've ever tried to plan your whole home budget for a year, it's not even close to spending $3.5 trillion. Uh, And it can be tough and it's hard to, to get that type of money legislation written in any amount of speed.
0: Let's talk about the Supreme Court. Monday starts the new term. It's going to be a very controversial one. There's a lot of scrutiny on the court for how political things have gotten, but we're going to see things uh, action on guns, uh, religious rights, possibly affirmative affirmative action in university admissions and abortion. Uh, There's a law from Mississippi banning abortions after 15 weeks, and that's going to be a big one.
1: And started off uh, really getting some headlines because Justice Kavanaugh got COVID uh, last week. And so he's going to have to listen remotely as they return to in-person arguments this week. But you're right. Lots of big headline making cases we're going to see argued. Abortion probably being one of them, conservative and anti-abortion groups have been really hopeful that this is the court that will reverse Roe v. Wade. And that's a big question mark about whether or not this Mississippi abortion case allows them to do so and they take the opportunity and do that. But there are other big cases. Also, we saw last week the court turned down a challenge to the, the New York City vaccine requirement for teachers, but wouldn't be surprised, too, if we get some COVID cases in here before the term is up as people file, you know, really press challenges to some of the measures that are in place.
0: the other interesting wrinkle too is Justice Stephen Breyer he's 83 years old there's been pressure on him to retire while Joe Biden is still president and they can uh, uh, assign another justice there or you know nominate another justice uh, there's also going to be a report a presidential commission on the Supreme Court is going to deliver a report next month to Biden about the court's power possibly adding seats possibly lit- limiting the lifetime tenures of the justices. I would be shocked, shocked if President Biden
1: added seats to the court. I just don't see him doing that. Uh, But I think you're right. There's going to be a real drumbeat, particularly from the left, that Breyer uh, retire at the end of this term while Biden can still uh, appoint a replacement and the Senate is in Democratic hands and they could move through a nominee.
0: Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: There still will be
1: uh, at least a few employees, I think, that will be separating from the organization um, because they uh, refused the vaccine and did not qualify for either a medical uh, or a religious exemption. Joining
0: us now is Andrea Shu, labor and workplace correspondent at NPR. Thanks for joining us, Andrea. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we're seeing a lot more mandates of vaccines coming through. Uh, you know, we're seeing these in In certain cities, employers are starting to mandate their employees to get the COVID-19 vaccines. And sometimes they're not offering the alternative of maybe getting a weekly test or something. Uh, A lot of workers are not happy about this and they're pushing back. One of the things that a lot of people are trying to do is get a a religious exemption to the vaccine mandate. But there's all sorts of rules in place with this. Uh, The employer's have a a pretty um, wide latitude with what they can approve and how they can accommodate. So, Andrea, you wrote a piece about this really interesting stuff. So help us walk through some of this. What are the obligations employers have when people say, I want to get a religious exemption?
2: Right, right. So the right to request a religious exemption comes from Title VII of the Civil Rights Act, and, you know, that is the law that protects workers from discrimination on the basis of you know, many things, including religion is one of them. So the federal government says that, you know, employers have to provide reasonable accommodations for the workers who have sincerely held religious beliefs unless, and there's a really big unless here, unless doing so poses an undue hardship to the company. And so that's, you know, it's a question like, what is an undue hardship? That's something that I've been exploring, actually.
0: Yeah. And because, you know, if you have to change the whole business model or, or workflow or something, you know, that's an easy way to say no at that at that point. So when it comes to these reasonable accommodations, you know, what does that mean? You know, right. what can on what basis can they start refusing?
2: Right. So the, what the law says for religious exemption cases, the undue hardship, it doesn't like it doesn't have to be you rearranging your whole company. The actual language uses the word de minimis, which kind of means minimal. So, how undue hardship is defined is more than a de minimis cost or burden on the operation of the employer's business. So think about it more than a minimal cost. It's a pretty low bar. And, you know, lawyers I spoke to gave me examples, like if somebody's religious beliefs requires them to not work on Saturdays, and as a result, the company has to rearrange a bunch of people's shifts, that could be considered an undue hardship. And they could deny that person the accommodation of not working on Saturdays.
0: Wow. So there's, I mean, there's a lot of power, obviously, on the employer side of things. I do want to get into the fact of, you know, employers can ask you about your religious beliefs. Uh, They can, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, see if uh, those religious beliefs are sincere. And this is where it gets really interesting because, you know, we're seeing, obviously, there's a lot of misinformation that's all found on the Internet. You know, a lot of people are saying that they have um, objections uh, to vaccines that use fetal cells in research, testing or production. They don't want to be putting that stuff in their bodies. And this is where it gets very technical with the COVID-19 vaccines, at least.
2: Yes, right. So that is a common reason that people are citing that they say, you know, vaccines are made using fetal cells. What public health officials have made clear is that the COVID-19 vaccines, I'll start with Pfizer and Moderna. They were used in the development and testing of those vaccines. It was fetal cell lines that were developed decades ago in a laboratory. And this is a common practice in pharmaceutical research. And then for the J&J vaccine, it's a little bit different. Different fetal cell lines were being used in the production of the J&J vaccine. But to be clear, none of these COVID vaccines contain any fetal cells. And that is uh, misinformation that is out there. But um, you know, one of the CEOs I spoke to, a CEO of a hospital in Arkansas, it's Conway Regional Medical Center. Matt Troop is the CEO, and you know he had about forty-five requests for religious exemptions out of eighteen hundred employees, so about five percent. They were all based on the fetal cell issue. He wanted to educate his workforce about this issue. So he uh, had his staff compile this list of medicines that yeah. have also used fetal cells This is in really research gr- and development. Yeah,
0: this is really great and, and shows how much, you know, everyday products might be doing this. And if you're trying to cl- claim an exemption just for this vaccine... And you, you know, you use any of these other products, you really have no standing, it seems like, uh, but, but continue, right. I, explain this because yeah, I said so, it well, that's
2: exactly what he said that he said, you know, if you use these products, if, if, if you're asking for a religious exemption, I want you to attest to you not using these products in the future or, you know, now they're products like Tylenol, ibuprofen, Tums, I think Xlax is on the list, yeah. Claritin, pepto Pepto-Bismol, right. And he said, you know, people need to know that if they're going to be consistent in their beliefs, you know, this applies to a lot of different things. But you also mentioned employers can probe their employees on their, you know, whether their belief is sincerely held. I've also heard people, employers say, they ask, do you have children in public school? Are they vaccinated? Because most places do have a vaccine requirement for public school. Do you attend church? You know, there are all kinds of questions that the employers can ask. And I think generally up until now, most employers took employees at their word. If they say, I have a sincerely held belief, they would sort of move on to the next phase of trying to figure out if there was a reasonable accommodation. But I think with the COVID-19 vaccine, a lot more employers are scrutinizing beliefs that are being put forth anyway.
0: Yeah, definitely. And uh, in that hospital system, I guess they have 95% of their workforce is vaccinated. So, you know, they're saying maybe we can do weekly testing to help out or something. Uh, but, But I mean, having them attest to that kind of questionnaire and do you use all this other stuff, definitely a way to kind of weed out those that are just doing this because they're trying to be defiant about that whole thing. And we're seeing, you know, a lot of this stuff coming down the pipeline right now. United Airlines is going to be firing a lot of people. There's law enforcement agencies across the country. A ton of them, you know, have, uh, you know, try to get realistic religious exemptions. and, And these deadlines are coming to be vaccinated. And there's a potential that a lot of people can start losing jobs pretty quickly.
2: Yeah, I should note that hospital in Arkansas They did actually grant everybody who asked for one a religious exemption. And like you said, they're going to do testing. The CEO really said this is this is really all about education. But, you know, we want to be respectful of people's religious beliefs. United Airlines, which you mentioned, is is interesting. They did announce that they are starting the termination process. Those people did not actually apply for exemptions. They did not get the shots, did not apply for exemptions. Separately, I think it's roughly... 2000 people applied for exemptions. And United is still trying to figure that out right now. Some employees did sue United, saying, you know, because those people who applied for religious exemptions and I think medical exemptions as well, United told them, we're going to put you on unpaid leave for an indefinite period of time. And some employees have sued, saying that's not a reasonable accommodation. Now, in the past, courts have upheld unpaid leave as a reasonable accommodation. They said, yes, this is something employers can offer as, you know, it is reasonable. So I'm not sure where that's going to end up. But for the time being, United (laughs) says for those, you know, it's about less than 3% of their workforce who applied for these exemptions. For now, they are going to work still and they're going to try to figure it out by October 15th.
0: Right. That's a tough one for them, right? And it's like, we're not going to fire you, but you're just not going to (laughs) be getting any hours. So that's going to be a really tough right. one for them once they get there. Or,
2: and they pay. And also I think the people were told they had to pay for their own health insurance premium. So, you know, that's, that's a pretty big financial yeah. hit for people, even if it's for six months or eight months or something.
0: When it comes to the heads of these religions and stuff, when people are trying to claim these religious exemptions, does that have anything to do with it? Cause we've seen Pope Francis, you know, for Catholics, obviously, you know, he's said people should go out there and get their vaccinations. Does it matter if the the head of your religious organization says yes or no one way or the other?
2: Yeah, you know, Pope Francis said, you know, getting vaccinated is an act of love even. It actually, when it comes down to it, it doesn't because it's really, it's not really about what the religious institutions or leaders say. It's really about your personal belief. But it is interesting to see that, you know, even like the Christian Science Church, Christian Science generally um, counsels prayer rather than medical care, they do not have an official policy on vaccinations. They've said it's, it's up to the individuals to decide. So, you know, we do see a lot of clerical leaders out there um, encouraging people to go get vaccinated. There are some, you know, heads of churches who are saying the opposite, even offering to write letters for members of their church to, you know, support their case for religious exemption. Again, that given what we've all what we've discussed so far, right. you know, that may or may not you know, help your case with your employer, it kind of, it's really in the employer's
0: hands. Last thing, just briefly, because I mentioned the misinformation online and everything, you know, there's a lot of Facebook groups, things like that, trying to share tips on how to get that Mm -hmm. religious religious exemption to succeed. You know, some of them are are charging services and, uh, you know, we'll get somebody to sign this for you too. kind of what you were just saying right now. A lot of that, you know, you really don't know if it's going to work. So that's, that's the other tough part of it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Pete my colleague is my colleague, you know, she's the tech reporter. She's she's seen all this. She was in these Facebook groups. She saw people charging 175 for a phone consult over this. You know, we really think, you know, people probably should think twice about paying for stuff like that because at the end of the day, if your employer feels it's an undue hardship for them to provide you an accommodation, they can deny your request.
0: There's a lot still yet to go through and as I mentioned, a lot of these uh, mandate deadlines are coming, so uh, a lot more action on all of this coming up pretty soon still. Andrea Shu, labor and workplace correspondent at NPR. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.